Hey guys, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been such a privilege and blessing to be able to share my thoughts and the things that God has laid on my heart on this podcast as it continues to grow and more and more people are getting engaged in the fight for life. And we apologize that uh, it's been a while since we've done our, our usual news breakdown with just me as your host uh, as an episode. We've been all over the country, obviously, getting the White Rose Resistance off the ground, building this organization for this post Roe versus Wade moment to rebuild the White Rose Resistance for this generation against our silent but far more deadly Holocaust of abortion. And God is moving in the country and the church and it's exciting to be on the front lines, and I thank you for being a part of that by listening to the podcast, by supporting it, or becoming an ally of the White Rose Resistance. Hey, we wanted to share this incredible message with you amongst far more incredible guest speakers like Eric Metaxas and Dr. Anthony Leventino and my friend John Amanchukwu from Love Life Washington. Um, we we want to get right into it. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but it's a very cool story because when I brought the idea of a pro-life conference for the church in California to my brother and dear friend and hero, Pastor Jack Hibbs, in 2021, he loved it. He blessed it. He gave me his team and his facility to be able to do it. And we did that on January 29th of this year, 2022, over 1,100 people in person, over 400 online bunch of people got engaged with sidewalk counseling, post-abortion healing, mentor families, orphan foster care. Following that conference, babies have been saved by Christians who are now contending outside the doors of death in California. So we can start sending good news out of California. Um, since then, some wonderful pro-life friends from Washington, also individuals behind enemy lines in um, Gavin Newsom wannabe Jay Inslee's state to bring the Love Life Washington conference to there at Cedar Park Church on October 1st. And so we had a wonderful time. And then I had the privilege of preaching in that church's pulpit the following morning for our White Rose Resistance Turning Point USA Faith sponsored live tour to build the White Rose Resistance. So I wanted you to know the background behind that. Give Pastor Jack Hibbs some love online or when you see him, give him a hug and just thank him for his faithfulness in starting something that's now spreading across the country. And join us in praying for other states and other pastors across this country um, with a large congregation to house a conference to begin hosting this conference in their state as well. This is my message, High Kingdom Business from Love Life Washington Conference on October 1st, 2022. Buckle up, you're in for a treat. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Pro-life speaker and host of the show Unaborted, welcome to the stage. Good morning. I wore the same jacket in the video. What was I thinking? Oh my goodness. Uh, is Jay Inslee here? Uh, we invited him. Is he here today? No? Okay. Well, good morning, you domestic terrorists, you greatest and most extreme threat to freedom and democracy. Good morning. Amen, brother. Beautiful to see you guys. Absolutely wonderful. Um, you know what? It's funny. When the enemy overplays his hand, uh, the good people start waking up. Um, those who have always confessed the right beliefs but not contended in the public square 
for the rights of their neighbor, for children, for families, and for babies, for goodness sake. But the lion of the tribe of Judah is on the move, and he is stirring all men's souls away from their firesides, to quote Churchill, throwing aside wealth, comfort, and the pursuit of happiness in response to impulses at once awe-striking and irresistible. We learn that we're spirits and not animals, and that something is going on in space and time and beyond space and time, which whether you like it or not, spells duty. Churchill said that in 1941. And he's speaking to the nature of a Kairos moment. You know what Kairos moment is? It's not Kronos, right? It's not like, I get five extra minutes because Sandy finished early. That's, that's Kronos. No, I'm talking about Kairos. I mean like, Pastor Jay and Sandy know what time it is, baby. Beth knows what time it is. Zeke knows what time it is. Pastor Jack Hibbs knows what time it is. Charlie Kirk knows what time it is. And unfortunately, so does the spirit of the age and his acolytes and followers and their obsession with killing babies and wiping out the image of God from the earth and from the womb. So good morning, you former fetuses, <laughs> you zealous zygotes. And I've actually, uh, I've actually been a pro-life activist since I was a fetus. A lot of people don't know that about me. Uh, and I'm actually only half joking. My mother was directing a pregnancy resource center as the executive director in Azusa, California, right close to APU. By the way, never send your children to APU, good Lord. And uh, she was saving babies and loving on mothers and families um, until she got pregnant with me, and then she continued loving on children and babies through all nine months of being pregnant with me. So I've been informed by the science of transgenderism and leftism, and Fauci told me to follow the science. So I learned and I discovered that the body in her body is her body. Right, my body, my choice, that's been the rallying cry for decades. So when I was in my mother's body, I was actually part of my mother's body. So it was actually only my mother's body, because it wasn't me. And so through the law of transitive properties, I was saving unborn children from abortion because my mother was doing it and I was just her body. <laughs> Follow the science, you stupid rubes, right? And so that's what I learned, it's fascinating. So, so I actually have been a pro-life activist since I was a fetus, and so that's my background. Um, but listen, uh, we're gonna show you exactly why we're here this morning. Uh, let's put this on the screen. This is a baby. We all know that this is a baby. Here's another baby. By the way, these babies are, I believe, nine and 10 weeks old. And we can obtain this imagery in the same way that NASA takes pictures of space with the Hubble telescope. Have you ever seen those photos, by the way? Absolutely gorgeous. You, that's not one photo, you know that? It's thousands of photos that are stitched together to enhance the image. That's how we get pictures of babies now through embryoscopy. It's a little bit of a dangerous uh, procedure, so it's not done very often. But you take thousands or hundreds of photos and you stitch it together to create a representatively true image. This, I believe, is nine weeks right there. Seven to nine weeks being kind of where 90% of abortions are performed in America today. And Dr. Fauci and Francis Collins and the entire liberal establishment will tell you that that's an insensate blob of non-person tissue. Harrison Hickman, the pollster for NARAL, the National Abortion Rights Action League, okay, he said at the 20th anniversary convention for NARAL, ready for this? He said, probably nothing has been as damaging to our cause the pro-abortion cause, as the advances in technology. 
which have allowed pictures of the developing fetus. Because, and I'm quoting to you verbatim, by the way, he said, because people now talk about the fetus in much different terms than they did 15 years ago. They talk about it as a human being. And then he said, which is not something I have an easy answer on how to cure. What's my point? Brothers and sisters, they all know they're killing babies. We all know it's a baby. The question of when human life begins only becomes difficult to answer when you want to start killing people. Suddenly, it's like, I don't know about the science. If you're Stacey Abrams, who's still walking around swearing that she's the governor of Georgia, she's saying, babies actually don't have heartbeats. It's a manufactured sound used by men to oppress women's bodies. Oh, you mean like how male abortionists oppress unborn women's bodies when they rip their limbs off of their body? Oh, no, not that kind of oppression. Gotcha, Stacey Abrams. For 50 years, we've been crushing their skulls, suctioning off their limbs, poisoning them through saline salt solution, injecting potassium chloride into their heart or head to cause cardiac arrest, starving them to death through the abortion pill. And sometimes, if we waited too long, then we would just deliver half the baby feet first while leaving the head and the shoulders in the birth canal and then shove a hole into the back of their neck and suction their brain out. It's called partial birth abortion, something that Ruth Bader Ginsburg tried to uphold and protect in two different Supreme Court decisions. So the next time people tell you Ruth Bader Ginsburg is some feminist hero for women, she's the greatest terror to little women this country has ever seen. Little women in the womb. That she literally tried to uphold that procedure in two different Supreme Court cases. It's called partial birth abortion. By the way, did you know that Planned Parenthood used to call abortions baby killing? and not support or defend them. Did you know that? I have a 1963 booklet here, and we actually have a photocopy of the original one. 1963, Planned Parenthood published this in an info booklet. An abortion kills the life of a baby after it has begun. It is dangerous to your life and health. Planned Parenthood said that in 1963. One year later, in 1964, Mary Calderon, the medical director for Planned Parenthood, would leave and begin the Sexuality Information Education Council of the United States, SECAS, with seed money from Hugh Hefner, with a board member named Wardell Pomeroy, who had led the Kinsey Institute at Indiana University, who was described by Time Magazine in a 1980 interview as part of the pro-incest movement. And so today, abortion is their sales funnel, sex ed is their sales funnel, abortion is their product, and your daughters are their prospects. So this amazing grassroots tea party level uprising we saw in the last year and a half of godly men and women, mama bears and papa bears speaking at school board meetings and saying, you degenerate Alfred Kinsey pornographic demons pushing porn in elementary schools because that's just follow the science. We're going to primary every single one of you. And what did Attorney General Merrick Garland say? Y'all are a bunch of domestic terrorists. Now, people always say, Seth, you speak so hyperbolically, you're just trying to rile people up. That's just not fair. That's not very Christ-like. No, I'm not joking. The attorney general of this country said, this is kind of like domestic terrorist activity. Why? Because I raised my voice and got a little bit excited. You just burned down the country, and it was called Mostly Peaceful, and you're pushing porn onto kids. We're going to stand in the middle of the road of the culture of death with a big sign that says, stop, you will go no further. And they label you domestic terrorists and the greatest extreme threat to freedom and democracy. Can I tell you something, brothers and sisters? When they say our democracy, they really mean their oligarchy. When they say our democracy is in danger, they just mean liberalism. 
So in a way, they're actually right. Godly men and women contending for the rights of family, children, and the thing that matters to our Father's heart is the greatest threat to the real theocracy in America today, the theocracy of secular progressivism and its sacrament of abortion. So Roe v. Wade got overturned. June 24th, 2022, nearly 50 years and over 65 million babies, over 65 million children torn limb to limb in the very location they were created to be protected and valued. Did you know that June 24th, 2022 was an incredibly providential day? Do you believe that God still intervenes in the affairs of men? I do, and I think he gave us a providential week or two on June 24th to say, I'm still here. So fulfill your duty, get onto the field of battle, and contend for what I care about. June 24, 2022, for um, the more traditional Christians and Catholics, was the, the nativity of St. John the Baptist. Literally, when we celebrate the prenatal John the Baptist doing backflips in the womb, when he recognizes his Savior in a womb in the same room, who's knitting John the Baptist together in the womb, because the prenatal Christ is God in the womb, and God in his life together in the womb, while he knits himself together in the womb, because someone has to knit Christ together in the womb, and he's fully God and fully human from the moment of conception, while he knits himself together in a uterus that he once knit together when he created Mary in the womb of Mary's mother. <laughs> Incarnation, mind blown. And Christian, if you need some more wonder brought back into your faith, you know, you're kind of bored, just wake up every morning and dwell on the incarnation for two or three minutes. Absolutely beautiful and wild. Are you freaking kidding me? June 24th, the celebration of two babies in a womb recognizing one another is the day that Roe v. Wade gets overturned. I think that's really cool. Now, there was also this planetary alignment of like five planets lined up in the night sky visible to stargazers. It was called a planetary alignment. Now listen, I know our savior says it is a wicked generation that seeks for signs and wonders. I'm not some weird kooky Christian that's saying, Christian, go read the stars, see what God's telling you. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, but as one Catholic priest, George Rutler says, it is a stupid generation that ignores signs and wonders. <laughs> and when signs and wonders slap you in the face, you should give glory to God and get back onto the field of battle. And so literally five planets line up in the night sky. A, a photo goes viral all across the world of this planetary alignment. The astrophotographer who took the picture, his name was Wright Dobbs. Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health, the Supreme Court decision that overturns Roe v. Wade. And his first name is Wright, like they were right in the ruling of Dobbs. That's just weird. So God still intervenes in the affairs of men, which means we have a duty to fulfill in this hour. Life wins a huge victory. The high places of Moloch begin to crumble. And where was the church? No celebration. No giving glory to God for how he was moving in the country and throughout the church. A bunch of apologies. A bunch of but, but, but. We're grateful Roe v. Wade got overturned, but. But weep with those who weep and mourn with the Moloch serviles. I'm sorry, the reproductive health advocates. Here's an example. Let's play this. If we can all be honest and uncomfortable, the church has been either extremely insensitive or worse, they've been awfully quiet yes, right yes, now. Yes. Chelsea, why do you think that is? Mm. I can tell you why I've been quiet. I feel very humbled. Mm. And I don't know sometimes the fine line between humbled and humiliated. Mm. Um, I'm a person who follows the teachings of Jesus and one of those teachings says that we weep with those who weep 
and rejoice with those who rejoice. Mm -hmm. And in this moment, I feel completely humbled and do not know how to follow that teaching. It just seems impossible mm -hmm. to be able to do that in this moment. And I am embarrassed by some of the rejoicing at the, ex at the cost of somebody's pain. Next one. So Chelsea, so many Christians look to a passage of scripture which says you were knit in your mother's womb. And they stand on that and say abortion is wrong. Mm -hmm. How can a Christian or somebody who identifies and lives their life by biblical text simultaneously read that passage but still empathize with women that are hurting or that have hurt? I have so much empathy and understanding for followers of Jesus who would say, I believe that life begets a conception. Mm -hmm. And I believe that stopping an abortion is saving a life. Mm -hmm. That's a very, saving a life is a very valid cause. Mm -hmm. But that's not the only life that we're called to save if you're pro-life. Wow. There's a lot of life. Mm -hmm. It's also taking one verse and making that as making that one verse psalm 139 making that as black and white mm -hmm. as the verses of the forgiveness and love of jesus christ it's one verse versus thousands and thousands of verses that are in the bible and we have a conviction is when we look at the bible is we put the emphasis where god puts the emphasis mm -hmm. and he puts the emphasis on love he puts the emphasis on forgiveness he puts the emphasis on compassion and so as a follower of jesus wouldn't i put the emphasis there Notice how they brought in that emotional music. <laughs> I'm embarrassed by some of the rejoicing at the cost and expense of somebody's pain. There's a term God laid on my heart in the last season. It's called soft bigotry. Soft bigotry would be the acknowledgement that the life is a life, the baby is a baby, it's obviously human, but somehow we're not as excited to celebrate the protection of unborn children as we tell ourselves in our mind we would be if we were protecting the slave in 1850. We have lots of apologies for protecting babies in the location that your savior entered human history in to redeem mankind from their sins. Oh, but we tell ourselves we would be Harriet Tubman's. We would be Frederick Douglass's. We would be William Wilberforce's. We would be Dietrich Bonhoeffer's. We would be Oscar Schindler's. And yet we have a bunch of apologies for defending something so close to God's heart. And you know what gives it away? You know what gives away the soft bigotry and the idol of cultural respectability? Because let's be honest, people and Christian leaders like Chelsea Smith and Judah Smith and Tim Keller and Ed Stetzer and Russell Moore and Andy Stanley, should I continue, want to continue getting crumbs from the table of secular liberalism. And so they will be like Lot. And when the demons come to their house and say, bring those men out that we might have sex with them, they give over their own posterity to the sexually obsessed demonic mob in order to remain relevant, to make sure that they're not reviled so that they can be strategic in how they engage a culture and make sure that they don't harm their Christian witness. That's what's going on in the church today. Love without truth ain't love. Forgiveness without repentance ain't forgiveness. And compassion, to quote Henry Nouwen, without confrontation, compassion without confrontation fades quickly into fruitless, sentimental commiseration. So we should put the emphasis where God puts the emphasis, says Chelsea Smith. Hmm. 
Jesus' first words of ministry were repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The word kingdom outperforms the word love in the four gospels two to one. God puts the emphasis on love, so I should put it there. Jesus talked about his kingdom more than any other subject. Kingdom shows up 117 times in the four gospels. The word love shows up 55 times. So what are our Father's kingdom priorities, amen? This is high kingdom business for our Lord, brothers and sisters. God puts the emphasis on repentance, on good deeds that prove your faith, and on child sacrifice. Brothers and sisters, you will find some of our Lord's most colorful language in the Holy Scriptures when he addresses his people's complicity in child sacrifice. I believe it's Deuteronomy that actually says, God says, it never entered my mind that you would do this. What? Sacrifice your children to Baal or Moloch. Now, God's omniscient, brothers and sisters, of course he knows that they were going to do that. He's using language to communicate how horrific this was. It didn't even enter my mind, Israel, that you would pass your children through the fire. If you have your Bibles or phones, you can turn to Judges 6. And... Uh, a brother of mine laid this verse on my heart recently, this passage, and I wanted to share it with you because I think right here God tells us what his high kingdom business is. Now, the background of Judges 6 is when the Israelites are being oppressed by the Midianites. Do you guys remember this? So God gave them over to be ruled by those who hate them, according to Psalm 106, because of their sin and refusal to obey his laws. So the Midianites are coming and they're taking everything the Israelites make. They make their wheat, they make their food, and the Midianites come and take it. So it's just Bernie Sanders' de democratic socialism, right? And so when God comes to Gideon in Judges 6, Gideon's hiding out in a cave making his own wheat, threshing his own wheat to keep his, it's, it's tax evasion, right? It's tax evasion. He's like, I'm gonna make it here because the Midianites are taking everything I make. And God comes to Gideon in the cave and he says, mighty man of valor. And Gideon's thinking, where have you been? He says, oh Lord, if you're with us, why is all of this happening to us? You told us you were the God that brought us out of Egypt. You told us you would protect us. Our fathers told us about how you intervened to protect us. Where have you been? I'm out night in caves making food, bro. And God says, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. So Gideon asks for proof that God is God, and God cooks him a meal, he lights it on fire. Gideon goes, oh, okay, okay, you're God. He builds him an altar. Immediately after that, it says in Judges 6, the same night, it says, immediately after God cooks a meal for Gideon and lights it on fire, God tells Gideon what to do. Now think what Gideon's thinking. Yes, epic, he's gonna download a strategy of engagement. He's gonna give me a military strategy to start making some Midianites head roll, baby. Theocracy, come on, God, save your people. Is that what he does? Does he download a military strategy to defeat the enemy? He says, you go tear down that altar of Baal. You go tear down that altar to Asherah. And then we'll talk. The Israelites are being oppressed and given over into the hands of an enemy because of their refusal to obey God and because of passing their children through the fire. 
And God doesn't say, uh, let's talk about your private sins. God doesn't say, you know, let's make sure you're, you're, uh, you're, you're treating the foreigner in your land well. All of that's important. God starts with child baby killing. It's fascinating. I don't know if you know this, but Asherah was a goddess of sex that would sexualize any community. And they would worship Asherah through orgies and unbridled sexual escapades, which naturally resulted in unwanted babies, which nine months later you could just pass through the fire to Baal. Can I submit to you this morning, brothers and sisters, the strategy is the same, nothing's changed. Remember the Sexuality Information Education Council of the United States, Alfred Kinsey, Mary Calderon, pornographic sex ed in the schools. They've been doing this for decades. You introduce sexually titillating material to break down sexual and societal mores to get people having lots of sex because then they can't resort to self-government because they're not basing their lives on virtue. Then you get all these unwanted babies which you then sacrifice to the pagan idols today of money, convenience, education, career, well-being. But it's still demon worship, isn't it? Because brothers and sisters, does Satan care the name of the God that you sacrificed your children to? Was Moloch and Baal really a little bronze dude? Or was it Satan masquerading as a statue? Who's the dragon in Revelation waiting for Mary to give birth to the Christ child so he can eat him? Who's behind the killing of babies by Pharaoh in Egypt and by, Herod, uh, by, Pharaoh in Egypt and by uh, Herod in Bethlehem? Satan. And this is his pride and joy. He has always been behind the killing of babies. So Gideon's thinking, oh, we're going to start there, huh? I thought we were going to go kill some Midianites. No, we're going to go after the root cause. That is where God puts the emphasis, Chelsea Smith. The first thing God addresses regarding Israel being oppressed was their abortions. So Gideon begins to tear down the high places of Moloch and Baal. And the next morning, he wrecks those altars to the ground. And then the Moloch worshipers get really angry. And they say, who has done this thing? Ugh, Gideon, that son of Joash, has done this thing. So the men of the town said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die. For he has broken our altars of Baal and he cut down the Asherah pole. Wait, Seth, are you telling me that pro-abortion Democrats who worship the spirit of Moloch today do the same thing and scream for the heads of those godly men and women committed to tearing down the high places of Moloch? Yes. Wait, are you telling me that the pro-abortion domestic terrorist attacks against pro-life ministries and pregnancy resource centers in this country where they're writing on the words of the buildings, if abortions aren't safe, then you aren't either? Are you telling me that that's just the same demonic spirit that demands the sacrifice of babies and will endanger the life of anyone who saves those children and publicly mocks the spirit of Baal? Yes, Christian. When will we wake up and realize that the culture war was always just a proxy war for the spiritual war? The spirit of the age does not know political boundaries. It's not as if he stops his demonic oppression on the image of God and the land at the line of politics. It's not like Satan goes, I guess I can't go any further. No, the goal has always been to cause chaos, to upend society, to recreate it in his own demonic image. It's an alternative creation story, which is why abortion is the sacrament of secular progressivism today, because abortion says, you must die so I can live. 
But Christ says, no, I must die so you can live. I enter human history in a uterus of all places to identify with you at your most vulnerable stage, the prenatal stage, and allow myself and my flesh to be ripped off my body and killed so that if you repent and believe, you will be saved and be used to accomplish miracles on this world. The FBI just showed up at a Catholic pro-life father's speaker's home with 25 to 30 armed agents with rifles drawn. Why did this happen? Well, in 2021, Mark Hoke was sidewalk counseling, one of the bravest men in the church today who stands outside of the doors of death at the last line of defense before a mom takes her baby to have the limbs ripped off of her body. And he, he peaceably and lovingly asked them to choose life and to promise the help of the church. And according to reports, a Planned Parenthood death escort, not escort, was hurling obscenities into his face and his 12-year-old son's face saying your, your father's a piece of this and a piece of that, the most vile language. Then this escort gets in the 14, 12-year-old's face, physical threat level presence. The dad says, step back. He doesn't step back. So Mark Hoke pushes the man back. The guy falls on his butt. He's totally fine. He files a lawsuit and the local authorities drop the lawsuit. Fast forward to seven days ago and 30 armed rifles drawn FBI agents show up at his home. Did they call a lawyer? Did they file a complaint? Did they subpoena him? Did they say, no. They just show up with guns drawn against Catholic families having lots of babies and contending against the sacrament of Satan. Three or four days ago, two more FBI agents showed up outside of a Planned Parenthood in Minnesota where a man has been faithfully praying on his knees outside of that death center for decades just to check what he was doing. Is everything okay here? Domestic terrorist, I've been informed by Corrine Jean-Pierre. Ultra-MAGA Republicans, whatever that means. And the most extreme threat to freedom and democracy. Yes, to your oligarchy, which is built on the mutilated bodies of aborted babies. You bet that the church is a threat to that. And if the bride of Christ ever wakes up and joins the line of the tribe of Judah out onto that battlefield, everything changes, abortion ends, and we can look our savior in the eye one day and say that we did everything we could to save your children as an alternative religion known as progressivism was ripping them limb from limb. So then Joash, Gideon's dad, like a godly Elijah polemicist, says, uh, will you contend for Baal? Will you save him? If he is a god, let him contend for himself. <laughs> By the way, that reminds me of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Do you remember that? It's like, <laughs> fire from heaven, God burns the altar. And Elijah's like, eh, so what's going on? And he literally says to the prophets of Baal, where is your God? Is he pooping? <laughs> now listen, I'm preaching here tomorrow morning. If you've got a problem with that, go take it up with the pastors. Go take it up with the Holy Scriptures. He literally says, where is your God? Is he relieving himself? Is he on the toilet? Like, I don't, where's the fire from heaven? I think we need more of that kind of confidence and ethic in the public square today to say glory to God and where is your God? Because we have to recognize that this is a spiritual battlefield. So Elijah is, is mocking the spirit of Baal. And do you know what happens if you read that passage? Do you guys remember? Well, Chelsea Smith, Tim Keller, Ed Stetzer, Russell Moore, Andy Stanley, and Rick Warren walk up and they say, Elijah, that's not very winsome. Elijah, you need to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. The child sacrifice worshipers are really hurting right now. They're really demoralized. This was a real punch in the stomach 
for the Baal worshipers as they were burning little babies on the altar. Uh, you, you sh- you, you're actually really harming your Christian witness right now, Elijah, because, you know, the people who hate God, they're going to see you so confident to give glory to God for what he's doing, and then maybe they won't want to hear the gospel because you're, you're so confident in, in your God. And didn't we hear this a lot in 2020, people who said, I can't vote for Trump because of my Christian witness. It's because I love Jesus so much. He's a big meanie who tweets mean things. And so uh, if I voted for him, I would have ruined my Christian witness and my leftist friends who I'm trying to bring to Jesus won't want to listen to the gospel. To which I always said, actually, you refusing to vote for a sinful man that God had raised up to tear down the high places of Moloch was compromising your Christian witness to deists and atheists who are not Christians but are pro-life, and they don't want to have anything to do with the church of Christ because they say, if those Christians believe what they say they believe, that their Savior entered human history in a uterus to redeem mankind from their sins, and then every other baby in a womb is created in the image of God as well, they'd be the most politically involved church I know because they would recognize they had to steward what they were given as the sovereign in America to pass laws to protect babies that you can kill through point of birth. There are plenty of atheists I know in the pro-life movement, brothers and sisters, who have no respect for the gospel that Christians want to preach to them because they say, you don't even take child sacrifice seriously. Oh, it's almost as if we shouldn't be so concerned with our witness, but rather faithfulness and obeying God, preaching grace and truth, and leaving the results to him as he's moving in this Kairos moment. What a concept. What a concept. It can't be that simple. Oh, and by the way, how did God choose to begin tearing down the high places of child sacrifice in America on June 24th, 2022? With a Supreme Court decision that went 5-4 which means Roe only got overturned because of every single one of that mean, tweeting, orange man's Supreme Court appointments on the highest court in the land. Brothers and sisters, I know this is hard for some Christians to hear, but God chose to use mean tweets over Russell Moore winsomeness to overturn Roe versus Wade, and now we have an opportunity in our states to ban abortion and contend in deep blue states like California and Washington to remind them that they are accountable to God. There is a God and you are not him. And we're going to obey the commands of our savior. When a nation makes it legal to extract human flesh from what should be the safest place on the planet and the location in which God enters human history to save us, we will not escape judgment, brothers and sisters. Israel lost their territory and land for doing exactly what we're doing now. No nation has ever survived by doing what we've been doing for over 50 years. Whether it's Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, or the Ottoman Empire, those who have resorted to human sacrifice have never survived. And in Psalm 106, God tells the Israelites, you have sacrificed your sons and daughters to demons. And the land, it's desecrated with blood. And you know how God finishes Psalm 106? And so, I give you over to be ruled by those who hate you. Brothers and sisters, does it feel like we're being ruled by people who hate the bride of Christ in the church in America today? We're not demanding our rights that we think we somehow have a right to. We're exercising our responsibility. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the man murdered by the Nazis for his failed assassination attempt on Adolf Hitler, once said, if I sit next to a madman while he drives a car into a group of innocent bystanders, I can't, as a Christian, simply wait for the catastrophe to happen, then comfort the wounded and bury the dead. I must try to wrestle the steering wheel out of the hands of the driver. Brothers and sisters, do you know how you wrestle the steering wheel out of the hands of the Moloch serviles? It's a word called politics. That dirty word that we as pious, self-righteous Christians thought we were too holy and above to engage in. And now we're reaping the consequences of that. Or as my pastor Rob McCoy says, we've been waiting downstream as the church to pick up human heartache that we helped create through our political apathy upstream. So what's the solution in this Kairos moment? I think we find the solution in Isaiah 1. And I'm giving you homework this evening and this morning. If you have not read Isaiah 1, read it tonight before you go to bed. The backdrop of Isaiah 1 is that the Israelites were having wonderful religious activity. They were having wonderful festivals and songs. They were worshiping God on the hill in Jerusalem. There was just this tiny one little thing. Um, In the afternoon, they were walking down a half mile to the Valley of Hinnom where they were cooking their babies. That's the backdrop of Isaiah 1. And so God says, I hate your songs. I hate your festivals. I hate your religious activity. I'm not listening to you anymore because your hands are full of blood. We've been praying for revival in America for some time, haven't we? God, you told me that if your people who are called by your name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek your face, then you'll hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. And the land is desecrated with blood. God doesn't like our services anymore. He's tired of our singing because of our tolerance for child sacrifice. Oh, but Seth, that's not fair, says you, because we're not sacrificing babies at our church. We're a pro-life church. So we're not complicit in child sacrifice. God was telling that to the Israelites because they were complicit in child sacrifice, but we're not. Ever heard that argument or something like that? Uh, Only problem for our progressive, confused brothers and sisters is that in Deuteronomy 20, Deuteronomy 20, God says, if any of you sacrificed your children to Moloch or any of the people of the land closed their eyes, when when that man over there sacrifices one of his children to Moloch, then I will cut you off from among the people. You and the rest of you who follow after him in whoring, whoring yourselves, prostituting yourselves after Moloch. And God gives the answer, so stop doing evil and start doing good. Correct oppression. Seek the cause of the fatherless. Huh, that's interesting. If we're supposed to bring justice for and care about the orphan whose life is endangered because his parents are dead, how much more should we care for and demand justice for the orphan in the womb whose life is endangered because his parents want him dead? Is the cause of the orphan important to our Savior? 
then how much more than the orphan in the womb whose life is in danger, not because his parents are dead, but because his parents want him dead? We have been like the Levite and the priest in the parable of the Good Samaritan who were personally opposed to street mugging in their own life. They were religious leaders. But then there was this bleeding dude on the side of the road. I think Luke's gospel says he was half dead. And, you know, they had more spiritual things to do. They had to go prep their message at their synagogue for Friday night. We have been walking by and driving by on the other side of the road for the 34 killing centers in Washington where we know every day when and where broken and hurting families are showing up and innocent human beings are scheduled to die. But we were like Lot. We wanted a place at the table. We didn't want to be reviled, and so we buried that evil. But brothers and sisters, in burying that evil, we implanted it. Which is why Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the prophetic voice and survivor of the Russian gulags, would later say, in keeping silent about evil and burying it so deep within us that no sign of it appeared on the surface, we were implanting it, and it would rise up a thousandfold in the future. And boy, did the ugly head of eugenics and child sacrifice rise up a thousandfold in the 20th and 21st century, thanks to the commitment of follow the science Fauci-like degenerates and the the, the commitment of follow the science degenerates and the silence of Christians, tens of millions of human beings were slaughtered in the 20th century because of the same ideology of eugenics that brought us Margaret Sanger and Francis Galton and Planned Parenthood today. We have been fulfilling G.K. Chesterton's prophetic warning when he said, unless a man becomes the enemy of an evil, he will not even become its slave, but rather its champion. I know you have to chew on that one a little bit, huh? Hmm. Unless a man becomes the enemy of that evil, you won't even become the slave of the enemy that you tolerate. An enemy of the slave that you, uh, that you tolerate, you will become the champion of the evil that you tolerate. There's no such thing as moral neutrality. If Bonhoeffer would say, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. God will not hold us guiltless. And let's finish with this. C.S. Lewis, influenced by G.K. Chesterton, one of the most prophetic Ezekiel watchmen of the 20th century, would write the Screwtape Letters book and explain to the bride of Christ what our, the enemy of our soul's favorite strategy is. His favorite strategy, do you know what it is? Levite and priest and lots. Christians who believe all the right things sometimes speak the right things, but will never contend for the truth of the evil that they see in their land. So C.S. Lewis would say, with screw tape writing to Wormwood, his junior demon, on how to oppress the church and the Christians, he would say, as the humans have said, active habits are strengthened by repetition, but passive ones are weakened. The longer he feels without acting, the less he will be able ever to act. And in the long run, the less he will be able to feel at all. The enemy of our souls loves Christians who believe the truth, who speak the truth, but won't be like Gideon and walk out of that cave and start tearing down the high places of Satan, the real God of secular progressivism today. Brothers and sisters, Satan loves docile, calm, 
pastors and Christians because he knows that every pastor and Christian is this far away from becoming a Gideon and being about our Father's high kingdom business. Let's finish with one of the greatest theologians, Gandalf the Grey, <laughs> who would prophetically say through J.R.R. Tolkien, there are other evils that will come. Yet it is not our part to master all the tides of the world, but to do what is in us for the sucker of those years wherein we are set. Uprooting, uprooting the evil in the fields that we know so that those that live after may have clean earth to till. What weather they shall have is not ours to rule. All we have to do is decide what to do with the time that is given us. And it is a glorious time to be alive because the lion of the tribe of Judah is on the move, brothers. He is the one stirring all men's souls, drawing them from your comfortable Netflix and chill and Disney Plus firesides, casting aside wealth, comfort, and the pursuit of happiness in response to impulses at once awe-striking and irresistible. We're learning that we're spirits and not animals, and something is going on today in 2022. In beyond space and time, which whether you like it or not spells duty, fulfill that duty, Christian, and you'll experience the greatest adventure of all, which is to be a little puppet that the Holy Spirit slips his hand in through to accomplish miracles on this world what to do with the time that is given to us. I will see you on the battlefield. Now go out there and give them heaven. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Would you please share this broadly? Share this with your pastors, your youth leaders, your Christian leader friends, and your apolitical Christian friends who say, uh, Jesus and Christianity is not about politics. <laughs> and uh, Let's wake some people up to get engaged in this fight. We need to rebuild Christian resistance at this late hour in the American culture. War. If you guys want to see my speaking event and catch me live and in person, go to sethgruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com. Um, you can also sign up for my newsletter at thewhiterose.life, thewhiterose.life, and become an ally of the White Rose Resistance. Um, we're encouraging you guys to prayerfully consider that as uh, every organization is built, not by large-time donors, but by individual faithful monthly partners. So help us do that. That means so much to me. And uh, if you want to give the show a rating and review, just go to iTunes Podcast, hit five stars, leave us a review. It really helps the show move up the ratings and more people see it. We really appreciate that. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unabhorted. Aborted. <laughs>